Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God. It contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. I'm glad you're here today. Glad you're ready to study the Bible with us. And that's all we're going to do for the next 30 minutes is see if we can answer some Bible questions. We're a little different than most religious TV programs. If this is the first time you've watched, uh, we don't tell you what we think you ought to know. Uh, we let you tell us what you'd like us to talk about and what you'd like to know about the Bible. So we take questions. There's a phone number and a website on the screen. You can use those anytime you want to get in touch with us. Give us a question. We'll put it in the stack and get to it as quickly as we can. But uh, we'll try to answer your questions real specific ones about the Bible, general ones about what the Bible say about this, or maybe something in your life you're wondering about. Uh, does the Bible comment on this problem or that question? So we'll answer about anything for you, or try to anyway. And when I say we, I mean Steve Tandy and Toby Levering. Hi, good morning, Steve. Toby. And good morning. Glad you're here and ready to go. Uh, got some great ones coming up like we always do. But well, we start with one for our viewers, give you a little Bible quiz. This one is, Who Prepared the Way for Jesus? The name of uh, one man was assigned to prepare the way for Jesus, and we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you know that little bit of Bible info. Looks like I drew the first one today, so let's try to handle this one. If the dead know nothing, and Ecclesiastes 9.5 does say that, uh, how can we live forever? Uh, what's this eternal life thing, living forever, if Solomon said the dead know nothing? Well, let's make sure he said it first. Let's read Ecclesiastes 9.5. And Solomon did say the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. All right, sounds like, certainly sounds like when we die, it's all over. Uh, no memory, no knowledge, no nothing. Okay, got to understand two things. First, you got to understand Ecclesiastes uh, at two phrases in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon is writing. He's the wisest man that ever lived. And he tried everything in life, and he wrote a book about it. And a couple of things he says over and over in the book of Ecclesiastes that help us understand it. Number one, he keeps saying, under the sun. He says, life under the sun, life under the sun, uh, this event under the sun. And he's telling us about life on earth with no consideration of what's above the sun. Uh, no consideration of God or eternity. Uh, just living life like this life is all there is. And the other thing he says over and over is, it's all vanity. Your translation might say it's all foolishness. It's all just blowing in the wind. Okay. So what he says throughout the book, 
over and over is, I tried this, I tried living for pleasure, I tried living for wealth, I tried living for uh, knowledge, I tried living for this, and I figured out that's all vanity. Under the sun, just living here on earth for earthly things is all foolishness. Okay, And in the chapter you mentioned, chapter 9, he's talking about uh, if somebody lives for accomplishments and lives for fame and lives for uh, fame on this earth, he said, when they die, it's all over. They, they don't know nothing. They don't know anything about that fame. Uh, nobody remembers them anymore. Okay. Now you say, well, we remember the dead. Well, for a few generations we do. Uh, I remember what my father and my grandfather did and what made them famous, but my great-great-grandfather, I don't. Okay, uh, That's the way life under the sun is. No matter how famous somebody is, uh, they get forgotten pretty soon. Okay, So that's what Solomon's saying here. If you just live for the earthly things, when you're dead, it doesn't matter. Okay, Now, we know that... Solomon does not really mean that when you're dead, it's all over, because the way he finishes the book, let me read the last few verses of the book, he says, now all has been heard. Uh, I've told you everything I know about living under the sun. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. All right, so... Solomon finishes the book of Ecclesiastes by saying we need to live for eternity. We need to live for things above the sun. So that's the message of Ecclesiastes. Uh, If you don't read it that way, if you don't understand what he's talking about, it's a pretty depressing book uh, because he's saying just life on earth is just vanity and foolishness. But living for God is what we ought to be doing. Okay. Good answer. And uh, another question have, uh, that the viewer asks is, uh, why do some churches believe that the communion bread and wine are literally the body and blood of Christ? Well, you're right. There are some folks who do believe that the bread and the fruit of the vine uh, become the literal body and blood of Christ. And that belief, that teaching is called transubstantiation. And it's that, that belief that when you, uh, when the Holy Communion is given, uh, that the moment it is given by a, a, a priest uh, becomes a literal body and blood. And where they get that from is John chapter 6. So your question was, why do they? Well, they, it comes from the, the uh, scriptures in John chapter 6. However, it sort of depends on your interpretation of John chapter 6. And you read the whole story, uh, it was quite controversial what Jesus said. Um, John chapter 6, this won't be on your screen, but Jesus said in verses 53 and 54, He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood will ha- has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, it wasn't that I mean on uh, by face value, boy, that was a shocking statement certainly to 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 the Jewish people. I mean, cannibalism was a definitely a, a forbidden thing, was sinful, and uh there were too many people that heard Jesus say that so, whoa. 
I think we just went too far here. And uh, they were misunderstanding what Jesus was saying. And we know that uh, because of verse 63. And this uh, verse is on the screen, John chapter 6, verse 63. He says, The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. You know, but in interpreting John 6, 53 and 54, we have to choose, well, are we going to interpret this literally? Or is it, is it a picture? Is it a metaphor? Is it a comparison? Is Jesus doing what he often did and taking uh, a physical item and remind, teaching, using it to teach a spiritual truth? And when he, when he said those words, in fact, John chapter 6, verse 66, there were many disciples that turned away from Jesus at that time and chose to no longer follow him. Why? Because they misinterpreted his words. And Jesus clarified. He said, absolutely. Uh, the, the words that I've spoken to you are not about the flesh. I'm not talking about a fleshly body and literal blood. I'm not talking about human cannibalism here. I'm talking about a spiritual truth. The spirit is where the life accounts. So when we partake of uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, the emblems which Jesus began, uh, taking the bread and the fruit of the vine, uh, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And when you take this, you're remembering that I gave my body and my blood for you, that I paid for your sin. So uh, just a little bit of context, reading a little, uh, a few more verses behind and before these, uh, John chapter 6 makes it very clear that Jesus was not uh, teaching that those words were to be interpreted literally. It has a spiritual meaning designed to teach us a spiritual truth, uh, designed to take physical human beings and every week bring them back to the fundamental truth that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, that his blood paid the price, atoned for their sins, and because of his sacrifice, because of his death, we can have life. And that's the purpose of the Lord's Supper. That's the meaning of it. And uh, no, we don't. Uh, believe that or teach that, but the, those that do, the reason they do is because they interpret John 6 literally, which Jesus said uh, it's not to be taken literally. So, hope that helps. All right. Well, I'll use the internet. Uh, I thought it's interesting how many questions like that that Christians have argued about and yep. wondered about for centuries. Uh, I read a book about Martin Luther not too long ago, and uh, supposedly Martin Luther and John Calvin argued about that very thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Martin Luther said it was literal, and John Calvin said, no, it was uh, figurative, mm-hmm. uh, symbolic. And supposedly Luther wrote on the table, said, this bread is my flesh. <laughs> <laughs> that settles it. Yeah. And Calvin said, no, but it's symbolically his flesh. Sure. And, they didn't get that resolved, so hundreds of years later, we're still <laughs> trying to decide is that literal or figurative, but I think you explained it correctly. All right, a viewer wants to know what happens when uh, to people who never hear God's Word. For example, people in third world countries uh, that never hear the gospel. Well, good question. What about folks who never hear about Jesus? If Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father, 
What if nobody ever tells them about Jesus? Well, of course, that's why we have missionaries. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're told to go into all the world and teach people. So uh, Christians do send missionaries to uh, <clears throat> all over the world to try to tell people. But there's obviously going to be a few that never hear. Uh, so what happens to them? Well, my answer is God's going to handle it just perfectly. Uh, God will judge justly. He knows every person's heart. He knows what opportunities they had. Uh, he understands it all, and he's going to judge justly. Well, somebody might say, well, how <laughs> can he judge justly? Well, I don't need to answer that. He's God. He'll do it justly. <laughs> but I will show you a verse that I think will help us understand uh, how God can judge justly. Let's look at Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. And Paul was talking about how the Jews had the law, had the law of Moses and understood God real well. And the Gentiles didn't understand that. And here's what Paul said. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves even though they don't have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. All right, so Paul's argument is that, okay, Gentiles don't have the law, they don't understand all about God and all that, but God has put on their hearts the basics of morality. And we know that's true. Everywhere in the world, people understand some things are just wrong. You know, if we all just evolved from apes, we wouldn't understand that. But we do because God put it on our hearts. And he said when John, Gentiles who don't know the law, who don't know about God, uh, they either obey that basic morality in their heart and their consciences tell them they should and they do it or they don't do it. Uh, they judge themselves. Okay, that's Paul's answer to your question. Is people everywhere have an inborn understanding of morality, and God knows whether they obey that inborn conscience of morality or whether they don't. Uh, he'll judge perfectly well and get every decision perfectly right. Uh, doesn't absolve us of the necessity of going and teaching as many as we can. Uh, because then they'll have an abundant life in Christ. But I think that's how God will judge things. All right, quick uh, invitation to study the Bible with us. Uh, we've got some Bible study tools that uh, make it pretty easy to study the Bible and learn a lot more about it. Here are eight lessons that are in one set that we'll be happy to send you. The first one's the Old Testament. Second chapter is the New Testament. And you understand the Bible pretty well just after those two. Then we've got some more advanced courses that take you through all sorts of more detailed studies and longer studies. Uh, you'll learn a lot about the Bible. We've also added some online courses that we think are real helpful. If you'd like to study online without uh, messing with the mail and print paper and all of that, uh, just go to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and tell them you'd like some online courses. We'll get you started on those. So use the phone number on the screen, the web number on the website on the screen. Tell us you want to study the Bible, and we'll get it started for you, and you can know your Bible a little bit better.
All right, Toby, baptism question. We get a baptism question every now and again. Yes, we do. And someone wants to know what requirements are there for baptism. I was trying to think about uh, this. We <coughs> answer uh, about baptism quite a bit. In fact, I think we're planning to have a, a, a one show coming up in a few weeks uh, specifically dedicated to the topic. But at, I mean, there there are some requirements. But I think at the core of all of those requirements uh, is the question: Do you believe Jesus or not? If you believe Jesus, then you'll simply do what Jesus said to do. Mark chapter sixteen, as Jesus is preparing to leave this world, he's preparing his uh, apostles for uh, to go in, out into the world and to preach the good news. And he says, uh, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, which means the good news, to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, that word believe is, you know, we got to think a little more deeply about the word believe. I, I don't just mean sit right there and says, I believe Jesus. That's not belief. Belief is saying, okay, I, I truly believe Jesus enough to do, enough to agree with Jesus, enough to do exactly what he said to do. Um, and there are several scriptures where Jesus and followers of Jesus make it very clear. Uh, if you believe Jesus, uh, you're going to repent. Uh, that word is not a word we use much, but simply means to change your heart toward God. Uh, to move from focusing on yourself and doing what you want and, and instead of reorienting your, orienting your heart to what God wants. Well, if you believe Jesus, you'll repent. Um, we know that uh, this, there's a scripture that tells us we must profess with our mouth uh, that Jesus is Lord. Well, if you believe that Jesus is Lord, <laughs> you're going to do that. The mouth speaks from the abundance of the heart. Uh, so uh, the things that are required, you know, uh, simply center around do you believe Jesus or not uh, just like it's necessary to believe and repent and profess uh, Jesus commanded to be baptized and sometimes we get people who want to argue about whether baptism is required or not the core of that listen I, I don't want to argue with anybody Jesus just said it and so I'm going to do it because I believe Jesus so I, I think at the core uh, it's a question of whether or not you believe Jesus or not you can read Mark 16, 16, the verse I read. You can read Acts 2, 38. Uh, Peter was preaching to a group of people who had literally just days ago called for the murder of the Son of God, the, the killing of an innocent man on a Roman cross. And they said, what do we do? And, and Peter said, well, <laughs> repent and be baptized, uh, and you'll receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, do you believe that or not? So uh, if you do believe that, then, well, I just have one more question for you, and that's uh, Acts chapter 22, verse 16, a question that was put to Paul. Why, and now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So requirements, uh, there are several, but it all begins with your belief, uh, whether Jesus was who he said he was, whether you're going to do what he said to do. Hope that helps you. All right, good answer. Turning the other cheek, let's talk about that a minute. Explain Matthew 5, 38 through 44, which says to turn the other cheek. <clears throat> Explain that in regard to the death penalty. All right, let's talk about that. First, let's make sure what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Uh, <clears throat> I'll read just a part of that passage. 
Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. All right. Jesus was talking in the Sermon on the Mount there about the behavior of God's people. And he said, now you've heard, and under the old law, it was eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, uh, which limited vengeance, not (laughs) mandated it. Uh, but you couldn't punish someone more than what they had done wrong to you. And that's the way it worked in the old tribal system in the Old Testament. Uh, But Jesus said, you've heard that, but I'm telling you, uh, you don't seek vengeance. You don't do that. In fact, if somebody offends you, uh, and basically because you're a God follower, uh, let them. Take it. Uh, Don't demand vengeance, don't demand your rights, uh, tolerate it, okay? Now, he was talking about Christian behavior and how we ought to treat people that treat us wrongly and all that, and I'll admit there's different levels of understanding of that. Uh, Some people are completely take it completely literally and are pacifists and say, uh, no, you don't resist anybody. Uh, Other people say, no, we've got a right to defend ourselves and our families and our home. And if somebody breaks into my house, an evil person, uh, I'm not going to let them uh, hurt my wife or my children. I'm going to defend my family. So I'll admit there's different degrees of understanding what Jesus meant there. Uh, I personally think he was talking more about personal affronts and uh, where we could represent ourselves as Christians in some way. Uh, but uh, a bad guy breaking in in the middle of the night to rape your wife uh, is not really interested in whether you're a Christian or not. Uh, I think you got a right to defend yourself, but that's my opinion. So I'll understand there's a difference there. Now, but our viewer asked about the death penalty. And whatever Jesus meant there, whatever he was talking about, was about personal God-follower reaction to evil. It has nothing to do with the death penalty. The death penalty is a right that the government has. And God gave government the right to enforce, uh, to punish evil people, and to reward good people, protect good people. Romans 13 is all about that. Let's just read one verse out of Romans 13 to settle it. Verse 4, uh, God, uh, uh, Paul said, For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. If you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers don't bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. God says governments bear the sword. The sword is not for misdemeanors. It's not for traffic fines. The sword is for beheading people. Uh, So God has given governments the right of capital punishment, and he says they punish the evildoers, and that's their job. That has nothing to do with our personal uh, reaction to uh, evil. We don't seek vengeance ourselves, but the government certainly has the right to. All right, let me invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, We're kept on the air by Churches of Christ, produced by Churches of Christ. 
and we like to mention some each week that support this program. Uh, there's a congregation of the Church of Christ in Kingman and one in Pratt. They see the addresses there. If you live near those addresses in Kansas, uh, those neighborhoods, drop in and visit Church of Christ near you sometime. I tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. Great bunches of folks at each of those. Uh, if you go to Pratt, you'll hear Brother Steve Triplett preach, and I know you'll enjoy that and meeting some of the folks there. So uh, maybe you just know somebody that attends the Church of Christ in one of those towns. Tell them, hey, I was watching Know Your Bible the other day, and so you mentioned. We appreciate you providing the program for us. Whatever area you're in, Church of Christ near you, drop in and visit them sometime. All right, Toby. Okay, a question about something that uh, we think is in the Bible. It's actually not in the Bible. The question is, where does it say money is the root of all evil? And there's so many people that know that's right there in the Bible. Well, it's not exactly like that in the Bible. Actually, this is an important point because it's one of those times a small little word, a word or two, can make a huge difference in our understanding what the Scripture teaches. The Bible does not say the, uh, that money is uh, the root of all evil, but it does say this in 1 Timothy chapter. 6 verses 9 and 10. Paul wrote to Timothy the preacher, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Okay, understand that there's nothing inherently good or evil about money. Money is just a tool, uh, it, 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 and it largely depends on whose hands it's in. Uh, but the person that has the love of money, they are greedy. They will, they, they just hunger for it, and that poses a real danger. Uh, there are people that are Christians, both rich and poor, and right in the middle. Uh, it, it, we're not talking about whether you have money. We're talking about whether or not money has you. So money is not the root of all evil, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil and will cause lots of problems if you're not careful with it. So have the right attitude toward money. Use it in the way God intends, and he'll bless you. Hope that helps. All right, let's squeeze this one in. Viewer says, God said, let there be light, then later made the sun and moon. What's the difference? Okay, how could he make light and then not make the sun till later? Well, got to understand, light itself is something that didn't exist before. Uh, light's still a mysterious thing to scientists. We, we don't understand all about how light works, uh, the essence of light. But then light comes from different sources. Uh, you can light a match. You can turn on an electric light bulb. You can... Uh, Photoluminescence, the rear end of a lightning bug, uh, makes light. Okay, uh, so there's the essence of light, and then there's sources of light. So let's read Genesis chapter one, couple of verses, real quick, and we'll see that on day one, God said, "Let there be light," and there was light, because He created the essence of light that day. Then on day four, then God said, "Let there be lights, sources of light." in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and to give light on the earth. And it was so. So he made the sun and the moon, which are sources of light, and set up days and seasons and all of that. 
All right, we're out of time for questions, but we got a trivia question to answer. Let's do that. The Bible says, and oh, that's Toby. That there's a trivia question. Who prepared the way for Jesus? A fellow named John the Baptizer was the one that prepared the way for Jesus, and he did a good job of it. We're glad you've been with us today, and we hope you can be back next week as we answer some more of your questions. Until then, we hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.